Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia Delore, the podcast where we dissect popular mottos, mantras and metaphors, tracing their origins and finding how they translate to everyday life. Each week we have a special guest who resonates with their chosen expression. Our metaphor this week is embracing culture leads to a wonderful life. And after talking to my guest Africa Moon this week, I literally stopped working and thought how important culture is and how many misconceptions there are. So stay with me. I'd love to know what your thoughts are on what we discovered about our metaphor this week. We're going to focus on India and discuss festivals, beauty, food and architecture. To understand this in more detail, a cultural group is defined simply as a collection of individuals who share a core set of beliefs, patterns of behaviour and values. The groups may be large or small, but they are identified by their ways of thinking and behaving. An ethnic group is a community or population made up of people who share a common cultural background or descent. Indian cultural diversity is one of the oldest and most unique seen throughout the world. In India, the South, North and Northeast have their own distinct cultures, with almost every state presenting them in their own niche ways. If compared, there is hardly any society in the world which is as varied and unique as India's infinite variety of geographical landmarks. Ancient and complex places such as the Indus Valley, which was one of the first civilizations on Earth. So tourists are super attractive to visit India as it has so much to offer. India, chaotic, busy, overwhelming, but beyond beautiful. The huge culture shock that you experience by going to India is part of its charm. It really is unlike anything you have ever experienced before. It's incredible India. India is renowned for its many festivals throughout the year. There are festivals for every season, myth and legend, every region and every religious place. Some are exclusive to certain communities and religions, while others have a national and secular character. The music you can hear might be something you'd hear at the Festival of Colour. Dazzling contrasts of hues can be seen in the outfits and paints used in the Indian festival Holi, probably the most vibrant festival in the world. Reds, blues, pinks, oranges, yellows, greens and everything in between are thrown into the air in celebration as they exclaim Happy Holi to one another. This festival is to celebrate love and provide thanksgiving for a plentiful harvest in the spring. Not everyone's perception of India is of historic locations and festivals though. On the world stage, either through international film or beauty pageants, India has regularly displayed its talent and culture to the rest of the world. For example, did you know the country holds the record for the highest number of Miss World winners? I didn't, but I can understand why. The first Indian woman to ever win the Miss World title was Rita Faria, who won it in 1966. Not only was she the first Asian woman to win, but also the first woman who was qualified as a physician, which I think is pretty awesome, leaving her with one super beautiful life. And Miss World herself, Rita Faria, the medical student from Bombay, the first Indian girl ever to wear a swimsuit in a beauty contest and the first from her country to win this most coveted title. 
but the new Miss World wants to turn down any offers of film contracts in favour of her studies. She wants to use her £2,500 prize to learn to become a gynaecologist. Now she's entitled to call herself the most beautiful girl in the world, but she'd probably much prefer the most beautiful gynaecologist. Rita since married an Irishman, David Powell, and moved to Dublin to live and start a family with him. Much like today's guest, Faria embraced a whole new culture which led to a wonderful and prosperous life. My guest this week is the incredibly inspiring Africa You. I loved talking to her so much that I couldn't fit our whole interview into one show, so make sure to keep in the loop to find out more. She speaks on the second part about how she lost over a hundred pounds in a very short length of time eating raw food and different types of foods, and it was just amazing. And I just thought, if when you listen to this interview, you'll understand why it would be really important to separate them because the way she talks about food and the way that it makes you feel it's so difficult for us to even think about losing weight not because perhaps we think we're overweight but just because we don't feel healthy in the weight that we're in and in that second part of our next program with her she explains it so well so make sure you don't miss out but first part one right so here's a woman who embraced a whole new other culture to achieve a personal goal Africa Yoon has written a book detailing the changes she made in her life to combat a variety of health issues. We'll be getting personal, but I'm sure you'll be interested to hear just how her story ends. New York to Chicago and Milan to Cannes. Why? Why? <laughs> I know. Good question. Everybody always asks me that. They always say, you know, they you could have taken the bus or you could have taken a, an, a plane, but no, I took the feet. Um, first, thank you for having me so much on your show. Um, the reason I ran from New York to Chicago, um, in the Korean, uh, you will find that I was an activist. And I, I had given and given and given to the world, but I hadn't really given to myself. And I found myself, I was 100, 120 pounds overweight in five years. And so I, I one day went to uh, a Korean grocery store um, for other reasons, actually. I was actually outside the Korean grocery store and a Korean grandmother uh, called me fat when she saw me sampling some uh, buttercream bread. Well, we and after the initial embarrassment, we struck up a friendship that saw me embracing her culture and uh, losing 110 pounds in a year. During that year, um, I felt like my weight loss began in a little bit of a self-focused way because it was about losing. There was, a lot of it was about losing weight, even though it was about finding self-love the focus can get a little bit on losing weight when you're trying to shed pounds. And I didn't, I didn't love that particularly. So I ended up setting this challenge that I was going to lose a hundred pounds and then I was going to run from New York to Chicago. And I had been a fan of uh, Oprah Winfrey and I had actually learned about eating raw food and vegan food on her show. 
And so I said I was going to run from the United Nations and I was going to stop at Oprah Winfrey Studios to thank her for all of the advice from afar that she had given me. And so I started to train for that. I did end up, as I said, losing 110 pounds, um, embracing Korean culture and food and also training for this run. And then I ended up doing this run from New York to Chicago and I raised awareness about AIDS um, and about solutions and charities that I felt were at the basis of, of ending the pandemic. So that is why I ran from New York to Chicago. Um, and then from Italy to France it was during the year of the World Cup, which was happening in Africa and uh, in South Africa. And, then, and I decided to run again. I ran from Milan to Cannes. I ended up at the Cannes Film Festival and at the Amphar AIDS Gala. Um, so running kind of became a thing. I also ran in, in South Africa and in, Cam in West Africa as well. I was running for a while. I was a bit of a black forest gump. <laughs> they were calling me just running and running and running for causes. Um, and so that then, and that, that is why I ran from New York to Chicago. It took me two months and two days. That's amazing. I, I thought you were going to say to me, you know, a couple of years, you know, you start and you kind of stop for a little while and then go on again. That's amazing. Did you ever get to see Oprah? I did. What happened? Yeah. Well, in the Korean book, um, you will see that. My mother came actually from West Africa to see me and the run. And while a lot of people had like messaged her and I had, um, I had also messaged her, uh, I had no response. Um, I don't want to give my book away, um, but, and the last day of my run, my mother came and she, and I said, oh, well, I guess I won't, you know, I'm going to finish the run, but I won't you know, meet Oprah Winfrey. And she said, are you kidding me? She said, you embraced a whole other culture. You lost 110 pounds. You ran from New York to Chicago and you're gonna base the success of you, all of this on whether or not you meet Oprah Winfrey. And I said, oh yeah, well, yeah, good point. <laughs> So um, I, I said, good point. I was like, yeah, totally. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, uh, I, at that point, I said, you know, I'm going to give it one more go. And if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And if not, you're right. I've done all this. I've done all this. I don't really need to um, focus my words on, on someone, even if it is someone I admire and, and it is Oprah Winfrey. So I, I did, um, I don't want to give the book away, but I did do something that gave it one more try and I did end up meeting her. But you'll have to read the Korean to find out exactly all the details of how that went down. But yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely amazing moments. Entice us to get the Korean. What is it about? The biggest thing is, is, was the advice that my mother really said though because my mother really is, you know, she's a definitely a, in, in, in the book, uh, even though the book focuses on Korean culture and how I embrace Korean culture to ultimately have an amazing life, that came from really my mother and my father growing up at the United Nations. They taught me to embrace culture. Um, they taught me to be open to that. And 
that wisdom of, you know, being open to cultures and that base of being open to cultures ultimately led to me being able to, to embrace Korean culture, lose this weight and, and, and have an amazing life. And the, and the, that's the real measure is the being open to other people and it leading to something else. The measure of our life is, is, is in that and not in who acknowledges us or not from an outside perspective. So that was really the, the most important lesson for me and continues to be an important lesson for me because we, we can do that, right? Like we can sort of measure our life not in, in the wrong way, like by if people get us. I mean, we look at Instagram and Facebook and all these things, we sort of measure by what other people think of us, but the real things that lead us to amazing experiences in our amazing life is when we're open to other people, open to other cultures, you know, open to other voices um, that can influence us uh, to, to, to having a more full life and transformation even in my case. What would you say was one of the most fascinating things that you learned about yourself when you were writing the Korean? Um, I, I, I really actually came to respect myself and um, and realize the power that I had of my own story and my and my own life right because I wrote I started writing the Korean when I was in a pretty like dark place I was having really bad anxiety after having been ill postpartum and I was just like in a place that I couldn't even believe that I was. Um, and I just was like, wait a minute, there has to be some way that I can not necessarily be in control in a like, in a not so positive way, but be aware of my own life and my own story. And in fact, when I began to write, I thought I was so anxious that I thought I was going to die. And so I was actually trying to write my story for my children so that they would have something of me and of how I lived my life. And, and so that was sort of like the lens that I was taking. And I was like, they might even have a book that they could sell or talk about. Like I would leave them this kind of, how I lived my life, you know? And so what I learned while I was writing the book actually is just how proud I was of myself and how I had lived my life and not that I had had a perfect life, but that I had been, I had taken this embracing culture theme and it had run through my life. And I hadn't looked at it with that lens, but I realized that embracing culture led me to a lot of places. And so I knew as I was writing that more embracing of culture was maybe what was gonna write me out of this place. Um, again, you know, I embraced culture. I went to Italy, I've embraced culture. I've gone all around the world embracing different culture and had different friends and had so many experiences. And I was just looking at my 
and I'm looking at my life and saying, hey, you know what? If you really did die, like people would be like, wow, she really lived a good life. You know what I mean? And so I just thought I, I, I ended up inspiring even myself as I was trying to look at myself and found out that I really had a good sense of self-evaluation and, and, and ability to like embrace culture and have it help me. And so I was like, wow, you embraced culture before. Why don't you re-embrace this Korean culture that helped you before? And so I, I dove even deeper into embracing Korean culture and um, ended up even going to stay in Korea for an extended period of time. And once again, it just led me to more amazing life. And, you know, it in, in ended up actually, I ended up in Hawaii, but you'll have to read the Korean book to find out how I ended up in Hawaii. But yeah, embracing, embracing culture is such a great thing because, you know, when you're like scared, when you are afraid, you know, it's like you're afraid of the unknown and culture is also unknown. So when you're embracing culture, it's more exciting. It's like, what do I eat? And what is this about? You're more in a learning of unknown things. And um, when you're just afraid, you're just like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen in the unknown? But when you're embracing culture, you're like, oh, wow, I'm discovering all these things. So I really learned about myself that I'm like a big culture girl. I really believe in culture and embracing culture. That's what I learned. Well, now I can understand why you chose as your metaphor, embracing culture leads to a wonderful life. <laughs> Yeah, I really believe it. That's what I, that's what I really came out of this with. Like, that's what I really saw about my life and that it's been true every single time. And even instances that I don't write about in my book that I think back of when I embrace somebody else's culture, like it just led me, you know, I had friends that were like Danish that took me in like a little date and that led me to some things and discoveries and and it really, it's, you know, for me, the biggest one is Korean culture because it was health related and also led me to my husband. You know, I didn't think that I was, I wasn't planning necessarily on marrying a Korean man. Not that I wasn't planning on not marrying one, but um, look, just embracing Korean food was like on the road and the crumbs towards me finding the love of my life. And Wow, that's just amazing. But let's get back to, to the book, The Korean. You have just launched it. What's that been like? And how can we get a hold of it? Well, um, fairly shortly, we had something that we had to change in the formatting. It was about to go on pre-order. And then there was something that had to be changed in the formatting. So they are quickly trying to fix that. And so it should be... It should be going on pre-order. I'm hoping within the next week or two with all these, this little fix that needs to get done. And then it will be on sale globally on November 17th. Like, and, and, and for UK, you guys can get it on Amazon UK. Anywhere you can buy books. Pretty much anywhere that you can buy books, my book will be available. But you can go to the Korean book if you go to the koreanbook.com we will have all the links up there from like for uk asia america everywhere so you'll be able to go there and just click right away and see like oh, okay there's uk and then it'll take you to 
the UK bookshop. Great. Well, Africa, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I've uh, learned so much, and your story is not just an interesting one, but a, a very inspiring one. And I wish you the best you. with your book and also with your, your life, with your husband, and uh, yeah. all the best in happiness. <laughs> okay, thank you so, so much for having me on. And definitely everybody should go to the koreanbook.com. Thank you. Wow, what an incredible insight there. I'm sure you could really feel what she was saying. Before we end the show, let's return to find out more about Africa's chosen metaphor and keep this inspiration train rolling. And if you've just joined us, I'll remind you that our metaphor this week is embracing culture leads to a wonderful life. A way in which many of us have embraced Indian culture has been through its food. Mmm, yum yum. <laughs> Indian cuisine brings out the diversity in its nation due to the variation across regions with its preferences and preparation. Rice, wheat, pulses, curries and spices are greatly identical to Indians with cooking styles varying from region to region. India's unique history of trade partners, conquerors and religious practices has caused this diverse culture in cuisine. A love of this rich and spicy food has taken over the world, but with a particularly heavy influence in the UK. Especially after football games, I won't go further. <laughs> Going for an Indian or having a curry is almost as stereotypically British as roast dinners or fish and chips. There are around 12,000 curry houses in Britain. The word came from the Tamil curry, which meant a spiced sauce, but gradually the term was adapted and used as a generic term for any stew-like food from the Indian subcontinent, rather ignoring such subtleties as regional differences and completely different flavours, textures, cooking methods and ingredients. The first definite mention of curry in English is 1598. But the first recipe for curry published in Britain wasn't until 1747, by which time Brits, long-time traders with India, were slowly taking over the country. Thousands of British men and women spent time in India. They had Indian cooks and servants. And while some tried to maintain Western eating habits, most quickly embraced the taste of their new home. When they returned to Britain, they brought their new love of Indian food back with them. Those who had lived in India knew very well that not all Indian dishes were curry, and when the first, albeit short-lived, Indian restaurant in Britain opened in London in 1810, its menu contained kitchri, chutney and palau, dishes later known by the anglicised names kedgeri, chutney and pila. Manuscript books kept by those in the know also differentiated between dishes, but they were very much a minority, and in Britain, curry became a catch-all term for almost anything with Indian spices. Those venturing into the world of vegetarianism or veganism are sure to know that an understanding of the Indian cuisine is especially handy. With about 40% of the populace following the vegetarian diet, it's a cuisine that can provide such intricate and interesting flavours that meat doesn't feel like a requirement to a meal. Understanding how to blend such unique flavours can seem intimidating, but knowing a simple spice blend or two is all that is really needed. My name is Jesse Singh. I'm a chef and owner at Babuji. Today we're going to show you how to make a simple base for a lot of different curries. 
today we're gonna cook a simple way, the word called tarka. You need diced tomatoes, ginger, and I love using purple garlic because it tastes really good and very flavorful. Fresh ginger is always a good idea to look really nice and break it. That's what you're looking for. Another ingredient I love, fresh curry leaves. Very flavorful. Curry leaves has to be really nice and green, no marks, and smell it. It smells like a real curry. So get a little hot pan, heat up some oil, any oil will do. One spoon of garlic, fresh gingers, diced brown onion, diced tomatoes. Mix it and cook it for five to 10 minutes. And when you put in the curry leaves, keep your face away because it's gonna splatter. Our onions are all perfectly cooked. So I'm gonna start with garam masala, some cashmere chili, cumin powder, coriander powder, and turmeric. You see all the spices have perfectly been cooked. Onion, tomato, ginger, garlic, and you just got left beautiful curry paste. Cultural diversity can also be experienced through its art and architecture. Hindu architecture is the traditional system of Indian architecture, with many public spaces such as temples, gardens and marketplaces planned as described in Hindu texts. This is known as Vastu, which roughly translates to science of architecture. The main purpose of this style is to harmonize the buildings with nature. Islamic styles have also greatly influenced the Indian landscape, with its most well-known example being, of course, the Taj Mahal. The Mughal style, or the Indo-Islamic style, can be recognized by its use of domes, minarets, and intricate lattice designs. Like many aspects of Indian culture, its architecture is influenced by ancient Indic philosophy and science, as well as outside influences that have come to India over the centuries and assimilated into its culture. The earliest evidence of architecture in India come from the Indus Valley. This lasted from 3300 BCE until about 1300 BCE. At its peak, the Indus Valley civilization had several large cities, which were remarkably uniform and well-planned. Fast forward to the 20th century, after Indian independence in 1947, there was a shortage of local Indian architects because during British rule, the colonizers mostly funded structures either in their own style or in a hybrid style called Indo-Saracenic. Often, these colonial buildings acted as symbols of power and conquest. This history influences Indian architects and can be seen in Vidhan Sauda in Bangalore, which was completed in 1956. India is a place in which differing cultures live and work alongside each other. Though it has not always and isn't always perfect, those who are knowledgeable of partition will understand. But India strives to create a democracy which also allows for all to be a part of. Its food, landscape and many other aspects demonstrates this. And with such a unique national culture to experience, it's a place where people will keep wanting to discover for themselves. This week's metaphor is one I'm sure we can all relate to. Who doesn't love to travel, whether at home or abroad? There's just so much out there for us to taste, smell and see. And India is one of those places which I'm sure is unique in all three areas. 
hope you've enjoyed this episode of Metaphorically Speaking. All that talk about India, its traditions and its food, mm, I think I'm going to pop out for a curry because when you're in there, you feel the culture and the food, well, you know what that's like. And it's made me remember what my son used to do when we used to go to an Indian restaurant. And maybe none of his friends don't, uh, don't tell him about this. <laughs> but I used to wonder why every time we used to get to the car, he'd say, oh, I've forgotten something or, oh, I need to go to the loo. So one day, I think I wanted to go to the loo as well. So uh, he went back and I followed him. He didn't know I was behind him. And you wouldn't believe what that cheeky boy did. He took the tip that we left on the table. <laughs> I always wondered how he always had, you know, a little bit of money here and there, but he saved it. That's one thing about him. He didn't uh, go out and uh, buy sweets and things like that. Um, he always saved it. and. Uh, he never wanted to take things from me before Mother's Day because he always wanted to buy something without the pocket money. And now I know how he used to do it. Oh, poor love. <laughs> Don't forget, you can reach us at colorful.com. Go to the presenters page. You'll see me there and you'll be able to leave me a message. And also you can catch up on all the other Metaphorically Speaking programs. And of course, We'd love you to share the show with your friends or leave a review on colorful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. You can also email me at delia at metaphoricallyspeaking.uk. And don't forget when you visit the podcast, please subscribe. That's the only way we can continue to produce great content for you, which I must say I thoroughly enjoy. And when I tell people about the show and they go, they think, wow, I didn't know this about this metaphor or this about this saying, and it hooks them. And I really hope you take a little, little time to go to colorful.com, listen to the programs, go to our podcast, metaphorically speaking, and share it with your friends. Join us for another metaphor next week. I'm Delia Delore. Keep safe. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Metaphorically Speaking, created by Delia Delore Productions, with original distribution by Colourful. This episode was hosted by Delia Delore and had segments written by Imogen Kappelman, script supervisor Sabina Lauchopra Garcia, production assistance and social media graphics by Odua Osemwenke. The final program was edited by Jonathan Woods and social media videos by Ernie Deneve and social media direction and videos by Yuri Mains Tyrone.